0: Corinthians chapter 2 when I came to you brothers and sisters I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words of wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling my speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also, no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. This is the word of God for the people of God. In chapter one, Paul says to these early Christians at Corinth, Don't listen to human leaders. But now, by the time he gets to chapter two, he realizes he has a dilemma because he really does want them to listen to him, and he's a human leader. He's got a lot to say. He's got another 15 chapters that he's going to write to them. He's got lots of content. He has lots of things he wants to teach them he wants them to listen to him even though he's cautioned them about listening to these different leaders who are dividing them into factions i think his answer begins in verse three in terms of how he works out this dilemma he writes and i came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling my speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power i think that's probably a pretty good description of most beginning preachers fear and trembling not so certain about standing up to proclaim god's word to a gathered congregation As I was reading through this this week, it reminded me when I was in Kansas City in seminary, I was getting ready to start my final senior year. A district superintendent that took care of the area north of Kansas City called me and asked me if I could be available to serve three churches. If you've been here long, you've heard Dr. Biggs talk about how this works when you're in seminary, where you drive on the weekend and preach at one church and drive to the next one a few minutes later, preach again, drive, preach again, all on a Sunday morning. So that was my assignment, but I was also in seminary, so I was reading hundreds of pages of biblical history and theology every week. Well, hundreds of pages were being assigned, and I was reading a few pages every week, and I'm writing papers on the few pages I've read looking for those highlights, but still it kept me busy till Friday night, and then I'm looking for the lection reading the text skimming a couple of commentaries and trying to put together a relevant and inspiring message but I feel sorry for those people in those small churches in northern Missouri they got a lot of theological language when I was studying ethics they got a lot on nuclear weapons and war and who's supposed to do what I am sure there was a lot of translation they had to do every Sunday if it was going to make sense, if it was going to be relevant to their lives in rural Missouri. I understand what Paul's saying, that we stand up sometimes to proclaim the gospel with fear and trembling. He says that's how it was with him when he got to Corinth. That he didn't speak with eloquent wisdom or lofty words of wisdom that he had decided to know christ crucified and to share that with them and now he's claiming that captivated their hearts not because he presented the message but because the spirit of god was at work in them and through him his argument is that his weakness fear and trembling allows the spirit to work and then as he says in verse 5 so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom but on the power of God on the negative side of this you may have seen this I saw this when I was a teenager in my youth in my hometown where a charismatic youth director drew a big crowd And then some unflattering things came out about him and many lost their faith again when I was in college there was another leader doing Bible studies all around campus people flocking to hear him then some unsavory things came out about his personal life and people are falling away you could see that they had invested so much in the leader that when the leader had a weakness They didn't just step away from the leader. They lost their faith in God. You may have seen in the news, there's been a couple of pretty high-profile stories of young pastors here in the United States recently that were building fast-growing churches, packing in people. And then something comes out about their personal behavior that's so contrary to the gospel That it just sends out ripples of damage throughout the congregation. One I read about just a couple of weeks ago. Not only did it hurt the congregation, most of the staff of the whole church resigned. When the senior pastor fell from grace, if you will. I can't imagine the damage it did to those who had been gathering together in that part of the body of Christ. Paul says, beware... placing too much confidence or too much faith in any human leader better to watch for god working in a person yet all the while keeping your focus on god so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom but on the power of god on the positive side though when The Spirit's at work, and we experience the power of God. It's wonderful. We have lots of guests who come to Boston Avenue Church. We do our best, have greeters at all the doors, welcome everybody, ask people to sign in, make follow-up calls. We want them to experience this as a place that they can participate in, that they would feel welcome in week in and week out. And yet we know it's the role of the Holy Spirit To lead and guide them as they make a decision about whether this is the place or not. That's not really up to us. We do our part by extending a warm welcome. But we believe that God is going to help them decide and lead them whether or not this is the place for them. I hope that's an encouragement to you as well. Paul's point is that you do not have to be eloquent in your words for god to use you for good that God's spirit can work in you in any number of settings you can serve someone else or welcome someone else or invite someone else into the family of faith and count on the spirit of god to help that person determine if this is the place we count on the spirit of god to move in a person's heart to draw them into the family of faith. Paul says, listen, I wasn't eloquent. I may have not sounded particularly wise, but I testified to you what I know about Christ crucified. We know that Peter, another one of the leaders of the disciples, focused on the wrong things, said the wrong things. We know the disciple band often misunderstood what Jesus was talking about in their lives. Nonetheless, the Gospels got written, the good news was shared far and wide, and people came to faith, and the Jesus movement began to expand beyond Jesus himself as Christ crucified and risen. Paul talks about this in a later letter. He writes one to the Romans later in his ministry. I think he's even a little clearer over in Romans 8. I'm going to read to you verses 14 through the first part of 17, where he writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ can you hear that good news that you are a child of god and god speaking that to you calling you closer the holy spirit bears witness to your spirit so that you have that assurance of a loving relationship with god just as did christ so i was Working on the sermon this week reminded me of the book that I asked the congregation to read a few years ago. It was called Five Marks of a Methodist by Steve Harper. There's one passage in there that I had marked when I'd read the book that I want to share with you. I think he does a particularly good job of describing what this is all about. He's writing about the first mark of discipleship, and he says, It isn't a call to increase our love but to receive God's love. The ability to love God comes from God. This is no self-help effort, no intensification of our devotion through a spiritual version of trying harder. The call to love God is a call extended by none other than God. The desire to respond with love Is a desire put into us by God. Like fingerprints that make us unique. And unrepeatable children of God. We are given a distinctive soul print. Not just the life of God in the human soul. But the life of God in my soul. That made me think of what john wesley wrote he had a number of sermons where he used this text from romans talking about the witness of the spirit i want to read you a few of the sentences that wesley wrote as the methodist movement was getting underway he says the testimony of the spirit is an inward impression on the soul by which the spirit of god directly witnesses to my spirit that i am a child of god that jesus christ has loved me and given himself for me, and that all my sins are blotted out, and I, even I, am reconciled to God. Later in the same sermon, he asked this question Should it still be inquired, how does the Spirit of God bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God so as to exclude all doubt? The answer is clear. From what has been observed, first, the soul is intimately and evidently perceives when it loves, delights, and rejoices in God as when it loves and delights in anything on earth, and it can no more doubt whether it loves, delights, and rejoices or not than whether it exists or not. If, therefore, this be just reasoning, one who now loves God, who delights and rejoices in god with a humble joy and a holy delight and an obedient love is indeed a child of god he says this i thus love delight and rejoice in god therefore i am a child of god then a christian can by no means doubt being a child of god we have as full an assurance as any has that the Scriptures are of God and of this loving God, one then has inward proof. So Wesley talks about these different pieces of what we have in Scripture and what our inner experience can be and how our friends and our family of faith can help us and how we can think about all of these things so that we have no doubt that God loves us, and that we're forgiven, and that we're a child of God. So in Wesleyan Methodist theology, in the history of our church, we've come to call this the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. These four sources we hold up as important for all of us to use as we develop our theology and beliefs, Scripture, tradition, our own experience of the Holy Spirit, and reason or the use of our minds. We believe that all of those can help us develop and grow in our faith and our core values that we articulated a few years ago. We say that we embrace a reasoned approach to faith and scripture. That is, we believe that God has given us our minds as a gift, and we should use them to understand and grasp our faith. And all the same, God can work in our hearts. And we can think and we can feel and we can put that together and we can have an experience that resonates within us so in fact we do know that the spirit of god is working in our spirit or in our lives that the spirit of god is alive drawing us ever closer to god and guiding and leading us as we go about our living some devotional authors write devotions as if it's a direct message from God so that rather than reading it as if I wrote it to you or reading it or listening as if God wrote it one of those books is called God calling it was written by two women not famous in any particular way but who committed to pray together every day for a year back in the 1930s They were so humble that after they did this for a year and every day prayed together, then wrote down a message that they had understood God was speaking to them, others heard about it. Finally, someone wanted to publish it. They didn't want their names on it, so they are anonymous to this day. Let me just read you one of the messages they heard from God that they wrote down. It says, Yes, I, your master, am a generous giver our lives are one yours and mine you do not make yourselves loving and strong and patient and humble you live with me and then my life accomplishes the miracle the change another one of those kind of devotional books has been published just recently called Liberating love, 365 love notes from God. I want to just read you one of those. It says this I made you for joy and praise and celebration. I do not ask you to offer me thanksgiving because I need it. I ask you for it because sometimes you and your people have forgotten what joy feels like. You may even have forgotten. That in an era such as this, when so much evil is afoot, celebration and thanksgiving are acts of resistance against evil forces, empires of destruction, and cultures of violence and hate. I love a good party because I love to see you shine with joy. And the world does not encourage joy for its own sake enough. Today, I ask you to find something to celebrate, something to be thankful for, and to share it with someone, share it with someone else, find something to celebrate and to give thanks for, to be joyful in and share that with someone else, God says. No matter how you seek God or look for God, whether you do it alone in silent prayer or whether you pray with others whether you read somebody else's devotional writing and listen for god that way or read scripture and then listen whether you listen to music whether you join others in a class to study and talk and pray it matters not how you do it paul's point is find some time to do it and listen for god let the holy spirit teach you Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to use your gifts for good in the world. Amen.